I'm John Edwards, the lute player and artistic director of the Musicians in Ordinary. You're hearing an excerpt from Delacorte Pavan, a piece from a manuscript of lute music collected by a young woman named Margaret Board in early Stuart, England. And this is the first in a series of podcasts, supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Speminalium Fund of the Toronto Foundation, and York University on that collection of music. Deanne Williams, professor in English at York and Killam Research Fellow, has been working on girls as book owners and performers in the Middle Ages and Renaissance. She and I discussed the book, The Young Miss Board, and how its contents might have been shaped by her needs as a student and the tastes of her and her famous lute teacher, John Dowland. Listen to that chat, and then to the whole of the Delacorte Pavan, and some other pieces from Margaret Board's Lute Book. John, you are playing some music from Margaret Board's Lute Book. Can you tell us a little bit about Margaret Board herself? Herself? Well, we, we don't, like any ordinary person from the early modern period, we don't know a great deal about her. We know maybe a little more than some, though. Uh, we know she was baptized in Linfield in Sussex, uh, a small village, um, uh, in 1600. She was baptized in November of 1600, so presumably born the same, re- just shortly before that. And her dad was a rich businessman, rich merchant. Uh, we know he was rich because um, recently, about five or ten years ago, uh, his house that he built in the 1590s was up for sale. And, uh, you know, in the, in the Times or in the New York Times, you'll see, oh, here's some lovely real estate you can buy for $4 million or £8 million pounds or however. So his house was up for sale um, uh, and uh, is a nice pile of bricks. So presumably she's born in that house, baptized in 1600. But you don't become a rich businessman in a small village in Sussex. Uh, so he must have had a house in the city as well, the city of London, which is about two hours drive away now. Uh, un- unhelpfully, Google uh, doesn't have directions. It doesn't tell you how long it takes to get places by horseback. So that's not useful for 1600. But it's two hours drive now. So presumably he had a house in the city. And that's probably where she got her loot lessons, because as we'll find, she had as a teacher a very prominent court musician. Who was the court musician who was her teacher? She was taught by uh, John Dowland, who's the most famous instrumental musician in Europe at the time. So he's a very, very famous man. Uh, and his, uh, he, he's uh, in the 1670s, I think it is, um, Thomas Mace writes a poem about, oh, John Dowland's death, so 50 years out after his death. Uh, John Dowland's uh, almost an exact contemporary of Shakespeare. He's, uh, John Dowland lived from uh, 1563 to 1626, so just into the reign of um, Charles I. Uh, m- m- most of his pieces are published in the last few years of, um, of Elizabeth's reign and into uh, J- the first years of James I. And he had worked all over Europe. He was um, uh, worked for the King of Denmark, whose sister became Queen Anne of Scotland and then England. 
Um, he, he was offered a job. It, he, there's a letter from him that, sh that suggests he was offered a job at the uh, papal court. So he was in high demand um, uh, and then got fired by the king of Denmark or by his civil servants and ended up back in England, uh, was working for a nobleman and then got finally got the court position he was really after all years uh, for all those years um and it looks like he was given this court position they thought oh geez dowland's back we really ought to find a place for him because he replaced a lutenist who'd been dead for decades they didn't really need to replace that lutenist but that position was still open so they gave him that job uh, we know he was margaret's teacher because throughout the book, there's a number of pieces in his handwriting. And there are also exercises by him, little studies on how to practice alternating your thumb with your two fingers. So we know he, she, he was her teacher by that. So would you say that the Lute manuscript is kind of a combined effort with parts reflecting what John Dowland wants uh, his student Margaret to learn and other things that Margaret has contributed as well? I think I think that's true. Yes, we can see we can see um, the books in loot tablature. Most of it, uh, I think it's the first fifty pages, are uh, copied out largely by Margaret, and it's in loot tablature, which is kind of a graphical way to show you where to put your fingers. I think uh, tablature is the best way to express plucked string music. If you look at a piece of modern classical guitar music, there's all kind of little notes to tell you which finger and which position to play in it. Most of that's fixed if you use tablature. Tablature is usually for, for lute six lines, the six main strings of the lute. And in French tablature, as they used in England most of the time, French tablature has letters to show you where to put your fingers. So A is the open string, B is the first fret, C is the second fret, and so on. No relation to the note names, A, B, C, but just these are actual finger positions on the instrument. And then there's little rhythm signs over the top. So it's a fiddly way to notate music. And having written out pieces in lute tablature, I don't think she's going to be writing out pieces that she's not going to play, because I would never dream of doing that, because it's a pain in the neck. Is it possible that Dowland gave her the, the copying out of the lute tablature as a kind of lesson, a kind of an instruction, mm -hmm. a good way to learn music is to, to write it down and to copy it? Yeah, in fact, the, the, the main, uh, the, there's a, a printed book of music, 1610, and it's got lots of great and very difficult pieces in, and it's called A Variety of Lute Lessons. You might call a collection of this kind, you might call it a, a collection of lessons, so that's very true. Um, the book starts off near the beginning, uh, first few folios are treble and ground duets, as we call them. So one of the piece, one of the players just has single notes. They can be played very quickly and made into interesting pieces of music that way, but they're handy. You're playing one note at a time and learning how to move your right hand particularly and then the other duet part plays one of the ground basses from the time, Passamezzo, or uh, I don't think Green Sleeves is in the uh, board loop book, but that type, type of thing, the chords for Green Sleeves. So it starts off with, a num there's a number of these on the first few pages, and then down at the bottom of the page, there might be 
uh, one of the uh, a very straightforward or easy piece uh, where you you're just learning to have, move your hand, and then slowly you get past that to these really sort of standard repertoire of pavins and galliards, particularly. A pavin is the slow dance uh, of the time. The word might come from pavo, the uh, Spanish word for peacock, because it's almost like, uh, it's a slow dance that you play at the beginning of a um, sequence of dances, and you might strut in. It's, it's been compared to a, a, a decorated wedding march, because you strut in, maybe showing off your clothes a bit, and then you dance one of the faster dances, the galliard, which is a fast triple-time dance, and the, or an almain, or alman, which is a fast duple-time dance. But these, by this time, in the same way that nobody dances to a Chopin waltz, or it would be hard to do because there's a lot of information in there, these are less likely to be functional dance music. Uh, there are some pieces near the beginning that are, appear to be from the violin dance band at court, but most of them are, they're dance movements, but like a Bach or like a Chopin dance, they're not really to be danced to. Very often the pavins and the galliard will, they're in three parts. These dances are in three parts and you'll have the, they're called strains, they would call them strains. You'll have the first strain and then a repeat of the first strain, but decorated. There's two kind of decorations in the time. Divisions, where you take something like do, re, mi, that'll be the first time you hear it, you'll hear that. And then in the divisions, you'll hear da 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 so the notes are kind of divided up. Uh, Juliet, hearing the lark after they've just been up all night, says, oh no, we're gonna have to part now. Some say the lark does make sweet division. So that's a pun on that. The lark's fast warbling is what you hear in these divisions. But then there's a lot of uh, markings for what would be we call in later Baroque music, trills and things like this. There's there's uh, most often there's a dot before a note. A dot under a note means play it with your right forefinger. A dot before the note, just in front of the tablature letter. I think that means an ornament above, a little trill above. Uh, and then there's a, a little cross, which I think is uh, an ornament from below. And they're very, there's, some pieces have just loads and loads of these ornaments in these written out uh, graces, as they're called. They have loads and loads of them in. I, I can't bring myself to put, when I'm playing this music, I can't put all of them in. Technically, it's hard to put all of them in. And also, I think they're in bad taste. And they're also um, inconsistent. So you'll have a piece that starts off with loads and loads, like four, three or four of these things in every bar. And then by the end of the piece, they sort of peter out. Or you'll have a, a piece that has only one, one or two of them in throughout the entire piece. So I think, they're, I think these markings are sort of, are often, here's all the places you could put an ornament, rather than here's all the places you must put an ornament, which you'd have even by the 1630s, 1640s. It becomes much, much more of a French Baroque piece is the, the left-hand graces. And you have in, by the time you have French Baroque harpsichord players, it's, you have a table of ornaments at the beginning, which you must, you sort of are obliged to put all these in. I don't think one is obliged to put all of the ones that are in this book in. 
So do you think that it's possible to read the book chronologically as a kind of a record of Margaret Board's uh, education as a lutenist? I think that's, yeah, I think that's very true. You can see the pieces. It's really a pedagogical book. It starts off with these one note and easy pieces through pieces that are standard repertoire. They might be from the 15, well, some of them are definitely Mark Antony's Galliard and Delacorte Pavan. They're definitely from the 1580s or even earlier. Now, in 1615, 1620, when she starts collecting the book, we think it's in there. Uh, those are old pieces by that time. So you can imagine her teacher saying, thinking, oh, she's got to learn this standard repertoire of Delight Pavan, which everybody plays. It's in many, it's in six or seven different manuscripts. Lacrimé Pavan is in 25 different manuscripts, John Dowland's own piece. So these are really standard, standard repertoire. When you think of, um, I think it's Macbeth is only in one source. Now, I realize Macbeth's much longer than writing out two pages of a pavan, but a lot more people read words than read Lutatlager. So when you think something survives in 25 sources, that's a lot. So these are really standard repertoire. So you'll see a pavan that'll fill up maybe a page and a half or a facing on the left and right of a facing. And then below that, there's very commonly a, um, an almain, particularly an almain that's a ma from a mask, a court mask or something like that, or a ballad tune, you know, just part of the cultural currency of the time. But if you're, you'll need to know that to understand and enjoy plays. You'll need to know ballad tunes and things like this, or just to be part of the cultural currency, as I say, a part of the, you know, they're just part of that. So I think you can see the teacher's hand in there thinking, you know, both in the construction from sort of straightforward things to more complicated things. And then towards the end of the back, back book, you get these, uh, these more uh, up-to-date things or the six uh, masks of the 1610s uh, that are the latest court events. In the back of the book, after uh, Margaret's handwriting stops, there's another hand has these pieces from the 1630s, 40s, which are real French Baroque, French Baroque lute pieces. Hmm. And I think um, I always I sort of imagine, did she hand it on to a child or, you know, who is that person? We don't know. It's unknowable. But it's a different style, uh, a completely different style and a, a diff completely different hand of somebody who's collected that. I've forgotten what play it's in, uh, that somebody talks about, oh, uh, you know, you can't, these young women, they, they get introduced to one of these new French men singing a sing French uh, song, and they're uh, immediately back on their heels, these girls are, or something like that. <laughs> I'm not sure so, what you think <laughs> that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's the sort of thing, right? The new French style is coming right. in, in uh, even by the 1610s, you have um, Jacques Gautier is there, uh, you see in uh, Jean Perchon uh, in the variety of lute lessons, René Samin, all these French guys are creeping in, but by um, certainly by the um, by the 1640s, it's all French all the time. So the book reflects a variety of different styles as well as a variety of different sort of proficiency levels in terms. Yes, of that's definitely true. After 1610, the variety of lute lesson describes a new technique. Uh, it's uh, a Renaissance lutenist to play with their thumb inside their fingers when, when uh, on their right hand to pluck. At the beginning of the Renaissance, they take away the 
quill that they had been plucking with and just start using their thumb and forefinger alternating. Around 1600, 1610, you have this new Baroque style. The, the variety of lute lessons says uh, in the instructions for your right hand, stick out thy thumb as far as it will go and place the pinky. So they're now playing with their thumb outside. Uh, he adds, except thy thumb be short, then you can use this old-fashioned way, though it be none so elegant. I feel that some of the pieces in there benefit. I can get the articulation better when I play in this sort of new Baroque technique. And But some of the, the earlier pieces with the long patterns with divisions, that I find I can get the articulation better using this old-fashioned technique. And that's changing during this period, 1610, 1630. So does she change her technique? Maybe John Dowland changed his technique. There's evidence that he did, but it's German. A German per person writing long after his death said, oh yeah, and John Dowland changed his technique. Well, it, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And there's also a change in the instrument. In the 1580s, most lutes would have had six pairs of strings. And then they added a seventh and then they got tired of tuning that seventh to D or F and they added an eighth. And then by 1610, many lutes will have 10 pairs of strings. And you can see where Margaret has gone into some of the pieces from the 1580s, 1590s and scribbled out notes and written them down the octave because she's got these new bass strings now. Oh, I've got these new bass strings. I could play that bit down the octave. So you can see that she's changing over that period as well as she gets uh, this new instrument possibly these new techniques to, to use. I'd like to ask you about the history of the manuscript. Um, I'm imagining that the book had its origins in some note paper that was th that was then subsequently bound. Can you elaborate on how you see the history of the book developing? The, uh, the, uh, the book was heavily studied by a man called Robert Spencer, who's sort of part of the um, Julian Bream, Peter Pierce uh, generation of the early music revival, we'll say. And uh, Robert Spencer uh, has gone through all the watermarks and things. There are watermarks in the binding that are around 1620. So he thinks the book's from around then. So it it seems to me that the her the the notation changes. There's a way the rhythm signs sort of moves from a grid system and then some of the pieces throughout the book uh, start moving over to this lazier system rather than having a grid like 16th notes. You'll have just one 16th note and it's they stay 16th note until you get another rhythm sign. Anyway, this more modern rhythm sign thing creeps in as you go through the book. Also, John Dowland is listed as Bachelor of Music in the earlier pieces where things are attributed to him. And then uh, later in the book, towards the end of Margaret's section, uh, he's referred to as John Dowland, Dr. Dowland and Doctor of Music. He's first mentioned as being a doctor elsewhere in 1621. So since those are towards the back of Margaret's section, I'm imagining the book's start collecting it about six, between 1615, 1620, when she's a late teenager, and then she's married in 1623. And as I say, I, I imagine she's hanging on to it. Maybe the later French Baroque things are by a child. Who knows what happened after that? 
Robert Spencer, I think, acquired the book from a, an antiquarian bookseller. And then uh, now it's in the Royal College of Music where all his loot books that he collected uh, ended up. Is it possible to see a picture of the manuscript online? It's possible to see. Not The, the, the binding is not av uh, available on, online, but there are pictures of, uh, of different pages. Lots of The whole book, in fact, is available online. Um, we'll put a link to that somewhere in this. Excellent. That was me talking to Professor Deanne Williams. Now let's hear the anonymous Delacorte Pavin, Mark Antony's Galliard, probably by Mark Antony Galliardello or Mark Antony Bassano, and Orlando, or Orlando Sleepeth, by John Dowland, all from the first couple of pages of Margaret Board's loot book. Thank you. 